I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Over the past few decades, our views on weeds have changed radically. When I was young, it felt like every gardener I knew waged a lifelong, often unsuccessful war against these pesky plants. Hazardous weed killer was the norm, and tillage, which degrades soil, was a close second. But weeds are ever the survivalists, and they adapted and they evolved resistance to herbicides. They continue to pop up, even after heavy ploughing. So if the war wasn't to be won, and the weapons used to fight it caused undue damage to water and soil and wildlife, it felt like we needed to take a step back and rethink the relationship. At least that's what I did. Two years ago, I wrote RHS Weeds, The Beauty and Uses of 50 Vagabond Plants. And I loved writing this book. It really gave me a chance to kind of explore the value of these sort of underdogs of the plant world. One quote that I stumbled across while I was writing this was by Richard Maybe, who's the granddaddy of plant-based ecological writing in the UK, I'd say. And he says, the notion that a plant is a weed is the most effective barrier stopping us from looking at it closely. And looking at the way that weeds behave and the way that nature has changed since he wrote that book, I ended up realizing that actually weeds are kind of nature's first responders. We do so much environmental damage and weeds are the ones that rush in. They have many faces. Many of them have fantastic flowers for pollinators. They feed the birds with berries. They have enormous ecological value. They can spread like wildfire, but yet they're resilient too. They can compete with our crops, but yet they can add color and beauty. They're complex, and the way that we regard them is even more complex. So in today's show, we're taking a holistic look at the weeds in our garden, discussing what constitutes a weed, how to deal with them safely, and how we can see them as more than just the enemy. Up first, I'm chatting with Guy Barter about his upcoming book, What's That Weed? We're then traveling to RHS Garden Wisley to hear from the students who brought together an exhibition that offers surprising new perspectives on these rapid spreaders. And finally, writer and gardener Anne Treneman is back to discuss how to create her beloved weed containers. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Gareth Richards. To start it off, let's catch up with my trusty co-presenter, Guy Barter. So Guy, you're writing a book called What's That Weed? I know it's not out for a few months, 
But what drove you to write something on weeds? Well, the opportunity came up to do a book about weed identification. And I gradually sweet-talked the publishers round to making it a bit more than that and try and have it to, to look at what is a weed as well. So um, the nature of weeds, why something is a weed and why some things are very common, but they're actually wildflowers, even though people think they are weeds. And using that information to guide gardeners to understand mm. the biology of weeds, to control them. These are extraordinary times for weeds. The Weed Research Organisation was abolished in 1985 because we thought weeds were over. But since that time, chemical weed control has been found wanting. The chemicals get in the water. They're hazardous to the health of the operators. Weeds have developed resistance. So scientists all around the world are revisiting the biology of weeds, including in Britain, and all sorts of interesting things are coming out that will help guide gardeners in future to manage weeds. Nowadays, we call a weed a non-crop arable plant because it's, <laughs> part, it's part of the ecosystem of whenever you cultivate something, you're making a rather simple ecosystem and weeds are part of that. You've alluded to the fact that there are perhaps certain characteristics that help define weeds. What, what are they? Well, you're quite right. There are characteristics that define weeds. Of the 300 to 400,000 plant species in the world, just 3% have weedy characteristics, and those include massive production of seeds or, if they're perennials, production of really persistent root fragments or, or rootstocks mm. of various sorts. If you think about cooch grass, for example, it's got rhizomes that run everywhere. And if you look at groundsel, even quite a small groundsel plant will um, generate about 5,000 seeds left to its own devices. Because you're making conditions that suit them, you will, you will find weeds that exploit it, and there's really nothing that can be done about that. And in some ways, that's a good thing, because otherwise cultivated areas would be wildlife deserts, as indeed some areas of farmland are. But all the research shows that gardens, and especially allotments, are actually very, very good for wildlife, and a lot of that is down to the population of weeds. Mm. So that kind of leading on to my next question, because you, you're talking about weeds not just in terms of what they do in relation to our crop plants, but looking at the bigger picture. So what ways are you capturing this kind of holistic look at each weed that you feature? Well, what I did was I looked at the um, scientific literature and added all the things that a weed can benefit. So chickweed, for example, produces great quantities of seeds all year round, unfortunately, but they're very good for wildlife. And also chickweed produces great quantities of green leaves in the winter, which is also relished by wildlife. So if you have chickweed, as I do, in abundance, I tend to leave it all winter to feed the wildlife and rake it up mm. in the spring before it can set seeds. So, Guy, how's your how's your relationship to weeds? It sounds like it's evolving. How how would you say it's evolved over time? Where did you start and where are you now? I started working at Wisley about 30 years ago, and, of course, we can't have weeds at Wisley, so we spend immense amounts of time and resources weeding and preventing weeds and getting rid of weeds and with a, a fair degree of success. 
But weeding does not fill me with joy, so I tend to take a fairly light hand with uh, weeds. Now, I'm never going to eradicate the weeds in my garden, so I manage them and take advantage of their, their wildlife nature. So, for example, I've got loads of dead nettles, now red dead nettles, that uh, will grow over winter. I mean, in the spring, there'll be the most amazing set of flowers, but they're quite, mm. diff- they're quite difficult to hoe up. But I, I'll have to hoe them up in the spring when the flowering ceases, because the flowering is great for pollinators. And I'll have to hoe them up and get rid of them at that oh, time. Yeah. You see all the little um, red-tailed bumblebees, don't you? Flitting yes. between them, and all the early carder yes. bees and things. That's something I always find quite tricky: is leaving things for the pollinators, but then kind of being quite quick to get them before they seed. Have you got any tips? Um, Well, I operate a minimum cultivation system so that the ground is left uncultivated over the winter, which is easy when you've got a a light, sandy soil. And then I have a a selection of very sharp hoes. And so the moment um, they're over in the spring, they're hoed off and things are planted and sown. Mm. Okay, so we've touched on some of them already, actually, but I thought we'd delve into a few of the weeds that are relevant at this time of year. So first up, common chickweed. Common chickweed produces lots of seeds. As a rule, weeds that produce lots of seeds produce small seeds. So in the soil, there's always lots of chickweed seeds and they will germinate in the spring. But in the meantime, there's lots that germinated in the autumn. So those, because Mm. they're not very competitive, I tend to leave. I sow a lot of my garden with um, cover crops italian ryegrass for example and that partially smothers the chickweed so the chickweed can't get outrageous it's held in check and then i'm hoping it'll feed all the birds the allotment birds and the garden birds and um i don't suppose i'll ever see golden eagles but i live in hope of a sparrow hawk one of these (laughs) days and then come spring the ryegrass and the chickweed is terminated and uh, either incorporated shallowly or left as a mulch Because the seeds are small, they can only produce tiny seedlings, therefore a mulch will stymie them. So I put on a a mulch, usually something like mushroom compost, or I use a biodegradable black polymer sheet, and that completely stops the chickweed, except, of course, that weeds being weeds, there'll always be one or two that find a way to persist. Always, yeah. No matter how hard I try, I will never... I mean, I will not live long enough to um, control chickweed. <laughs> I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You know, accepting that what we can do, but we're never going to have we're never going to have complete control. We're never going to have an absolutely sterile seed bed. It's it's a myth of probably the old gardening books. Even at Wisley, with gangs of dedicated gardeners skilled in their trade and an ample budget for mulches, we never managed to eradicate weeds. Mm. One of the things I love about this book is that you've got these great photos of the weeds at different stages of their life cycle. And I think that's a really great way of elevating your gardening skill level is to learn to recognise things at the seedling stage. So can you give us a a brief audio rundown of how to recognise chickweed? Uh, Well, happily, chickweed is one of the easier things to recognise because its seedlings are very numerous and they have elliptical seeds that are very pointed. So they're quite easy to recognise. And then before you know it, they are starting to sprawl with more rounded leaves and then quite quickly, uh, very quickly in fact, uh, little white flowers appear that very rapidly turn into seeds. And that's another feature of weeds beautifully shown by chickweed is the fact they have very short life cycles. Mm. They're not like um, some, some wildflowers that flower in early summer and don't set seed till late summer. Weeds can flower and set seed two, maybe even three times in the, in the season. Yeah. 
live fast and die young. Yeah. And talking about weeds that seed rather a lot, next up on your list that we've got here is annual meadow grass. Tell us about annual meadow grass. It sounds sounds quite lovely, but it's not all good, is it? Oh, annual meadow grass is a very small weed, and although we call it annual, it's actually what we call an ephemeral, which means it can have at least two, possibly three life cycles. It also grows brilliantly at low temperatures, so it'll grow all winter. And come spring, there'll be a lot of annual meadow grass. So at this time of year, you'll see small clumps that rapidly become big clumps. And it's a typical nondescript sort of grass. And you often find it in lawns where it's quite useful in filling in bare patches in the summer. Because it's got lots of fibrous roots, it's hard to kill by hoeing. If you have a wet mm. spring, you're merely transplanting it with the hoe. So under those circumstances, you have the more onerous task of hoeing it and then raking it up. And I don't like to consign weeds to the compost bin, so I'll probably dig a hole and bury them in it and let them rot away naturally. And annual meadow grass has got another trick up its sleeve at Wisley, and that is there's some that's got purple foliage. So they're extremely hard to see against the soil. So all those years of gardeners weeding by hand, they're going to miss mm. far more purple-leaved annual meadow grass than they are green annual meadow grass. So as a result, purple annual meadow grass is highly prevalent at Wisley. Interesting, almost like a modern-day update of natural selection. Next up, oh, another favourite. I was talking about this in the office with one of my colleagues earlier, hedge bindweed. She said she really likes it. And I said, well, yeah, it's almost like almost like a white-flowered convolvulus. Tell us more about hedge bindweed. Well, I would agree that hedge bindweed is a handsome plant. It's got long climbing stems, white trumpet flowers, and it's beloved by children. But underneath, it's got a very nasty trick up its sleeve, which becomes apparent at this time of year. You clear away crops or you start going through your beds and borders, through your soft fruit plantations, and what looks like a little bit of hedge bindweed that has escaped your notice all summer, underneath it is a vast mass of white roots, mm -hmm. each one of which, if broken, is capable of starting off a new plant. So you grab your fork and you carefully lift it out at this time of year, trying to leave as little as possible, and they can come up from some depth. I mean, if you, I don't actually dig very much, but if you did dig, you'd be amazed at how they come up from 25 centimetres down. They're very weak when they come up, but they do come up. Yeah, a tricky customer. So, Guy, we've talked a lot about the benefits for wildlife, but also the control methods that we can use to still get some crops from our gardens, from our allotments. How do you think we can find a balance between the two? Well, one of the things that's very popular at the moment with younger gardeners who practice organic methods is called selective weeding. So they don't go through and destroy every weed they can find. They'll go through and they'll leave some weeds to have a mosaic of weeds and crop. It's a quite a risky strategy if you leave too many too mm. long, but it does also help benefit wildlife and it also helps benefit the crop because the Weeds will support beneficial insects, predatory mites and wasps and predatory beetles. I think that's rather a refreshing and interesting new development. Mm. Mice weeding tends to be selective because of incompetence. <laughs> I, I, I leave quite a lot of weeds because um, I don't do a very good job. But I am getting, unbeknown to me, a benefit. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a great place to end. So thank you, Guy. My pleasure, Gareth.
What's That Weed will be out in early 2024 and we'll keep you posted on its release. So Guy mentioned a technique which is becoming increasingly popular, which is selective weeding. And this is something I can really relate to. In my allotment plot, I quite often leave the red dead nettles over the winter because they make a fantastic food source for early flying bumblebees. And it's lovely to see it. But this also comes into another technique, which I think is really, really important, which is remove weeds before they seed. Because there's an old gardening saying, which is one year's seed equals seven years weed. And it's true, you know, as Guy mentioned, one of the key abilities of many weeds is to propagate themselves by producing lots and lots of seed. So you can kind of keep control of them by removing them before they set seed or before they set seed too much. As I mentioned with the bees on the red dead nettle, there's often a, a silver lining of having weeds in your garden. One year my herb garden got infested by cooch grass and okay, it didn't, didn't look as good as it did, but a load of grasshoppers moved in. And so the sound of my late summer was massively enlivened by having this extra layer of biodiversity. Eventually I did have to dig things out and replant the herbs and kind of tackle the cooch grass because it would have taken over completely. But I guess the idea that we can have different spaces and different times for wildlife in our gardens, not everything has to look perfect all the time. And seeing both sides of the story kind of harks back to what we were talking about at the start of the programme in terms of taking a more holistic view of weeds. You know, they're not all good, but they're not all bad either. The idea of what is and what isn't a weed can change. It can change between places. It can change over time. I remember traveling in New Zealand where agapanthus is a weed. And yet in the UK, you buy them in little pots for £10. So that line between weed and wildflower is kind of thin and tenuous. In fact, the Oxford English Dictionary defines weeds simply as any herbaceous plant not valued for its usefulness or beauty or regarded as a nuisance in the place where it's growing. Which begs the question, what even is a weed? And is it an entirely subjective thing? These are the questions two groups of students set out to answer in an exhibition at the Old Laboratory at RHS Garden, Wisley. In the exhibit, aptly named What is a Weed? Students offer their own perspectives on these oft-neglected plants. Here are some of their reflections. Hi, my name is Diego Michali. I am Joseph Walden. My name is Daniel Alastrand. I am Izzy Marzellini and I am from St John the Baptist School. Honestly, a weed, like by definition, is a plant that's growing in the wrong area. It's invasive and it shouldn't belong there. But when you actually think about it, humans have said that. Humans have come up with that definition. Plants have no input, despite the fact they were here before us. It just doesn't really seem right that we're kind of trying to dictate what the natural world should be. Weeds come up through concrete, all sorts of hard ground. They come through in places you don't want them to come. But that's not necessarily a negative thing. I think that we shouldn't treat weeds different to any other plants, whether it's a flower or anything like that. We as a society just decided to say, oh, well, you don't fit my beauty standards, so we're just, you know, not gonna like you and we're just gonna pick you up. And I think that's just, first of all, that's rude. And second of all, that's wrong. Why do we get to say what is a beautiful and what isn't a beautiful plant? That's not our choice, not our right. Plants grow in different shapes, and a lot of the time they just do it out of survival. So would you want to be judged because you're just trying to survive? Because I wouldn't. And I suppose in some ways we are all actually weeds, 
because sometimes you don't fit in and sometimes you feel like outcast. And yes, this is about we's primarily. However, secondly, this is about people and just who we are. I mean, tons of times I felt like a weed. Sometimes I just don't feel good enough. Sometimes I don't feel like enough. Sometimes I feel like I'm too much. And I suppose with what this says to people who kind of feel like they're a weed sometimes is it's okay to be a weed and weeds are still beautiful in how they are. And yes, they might be different, but sometimes different isn't bad. If people think they have the right to remove life like weeds, then there's no sort of stopping. I mean, if people, oh, it's fine, I can go and crush that weed, I can get rid of it, but there's other things that would rely on that to survive. I mean, it's part of the natural ecosystem and who are we to destroy that? Things just develop and get worse over time. So what, this year we'll be destroying weeds and the next thing, oh, this certain type of tree is invasive or things like that. And then we'll be in a bit of a situation with the climate and I think it all ties in. Nature has been here way before we were and we had just gone about and decided, oh well, let's decide to terraform it all and, you know, oh, I don't like that park over there. Let's put a skyscraper there because that will help uh, our future so much. And it's alarming. We need to make a change because we won't have much nature left soon enough. I feel like gardeners would have a role to play in the fight against climate change just because you can choose what you plant, you can choose how you cultivate things. So obviously just use sustainable resources, grow plants that give back. If they can like reseed themselves, brilliant, like less work for you, better gardens overall. Maybe stop removing some weeds in the garden. They won't harm me too much. Thanks there to Joseph, Izzy, Diego and Daniel. Some amazingly articulate thoughts. What is a weed will be running at the old lab at Wisley until the 23rd of January. Head to our show notes for details if you'd like to visit. And finally, we're not leaving without giving you some gardening homework. It might sound a bit crazy, but writer and garden designer Anne Treneman has got into the habit of creating containers out of so-called weeds, cultivating beauty from the wildness that exists in her garden. And she's here to tell us how. Well, I think today we're talking about weeds. I have what I consider to be quite an intimate relationship with weeds because I have quite a big garden. And for uh, decades, I've been battling against some of my various weeds because I haven't ever really used herbicides on them. So, you know, some of the really tough ones. I mean, cooch grass is my enemy for life. <laughs> But many of the other ones I've grown, I decided at some point to just change my attitude. I thought, why can't I figure out a way to make these kind of a positive thing? I think it was garlic mustard that did it. I just started to really like garlic mustard. It was everywhere in my garden. I thought, let's just go with this. It's brightening everything up. Here are these plants. Wildlife in general, love them. They attract wildlife. They are like pit stops. They are hardy. They are easy to grow. They are almost, in many cases, impossible to kill, actually. <laughs> they propagate more or less instantly by themselves. So why do we spend our whole life trying to get rid of them? It doesn't make any sense at all, actually. 
so why not work them into the gardening plan? Why not work them into the garden? And because there's such brilliant wildlife attractors, it's for me, because I'm kind of a container gardening fanatic person, I think c containers are like the perfect answer to the whole thing because, you know, I can really see that, you know, Creeping Buttercup has taken over part of my vegetable garden and I, you know, it, it is not a welcome <laughs> addition. But it looks brilliant in a container. It's controlled. So if you have it in a container, first of all, you can control where you put it. You control the size of it. And everyone wins, really. There's lots of options when it comes to building a weed container. Um, you can concentrate on one plant. So the nettle is the perfect plant to be by itself. <laughs> because they attract so much wildlife, and they also have all these other functions, you can... If you can grow a patch of nettles, uh, say put it, I don't know, near the compost bin or anywhere really, they also, you can use the leaves and you can turn, you can make that into kind of a natural fertilizer. And you can also just, I mean, obviously you'd have to be kind of into it to do this, but you can use the stems to make it into twine. So it's like an all rounder really. So I quite like that idea. People might be appalled. So you can concentrate on one plant. Another option would be to go with colors. So for instance, like spring, summer, you could have one that would be yellow in theme. So you could have Creeping Buttercup. You could have California Poppy. You could contrast that with black knapweed, which should be kind of a pop. In that same container, you could have like some wild angelica, you could have fennel. So you could do that on a color theme. Spring is a great time because Weeds are grow really fast. They flower relatively quickly. They're great in a container in the spring. So the obvious sort of plants would be aquilegia, so beautiful, primroses, wild strawberries, which are beyond weed-like in my garden. I must have a million of them. You can add in some bluebells. And I always would have cow parsley because it's like possibly one of my favorite plants in the whole world. And that is a beautiful container, and that will, you know, really perk you up. You can also do this in winter too. I mean, I would class ivy as a weed, at least it is in my garden. It's fine when you want it, and then it's everywhere. It's all the time, it's everything. So ivy is a natural. And then I just, I just don't think it's against the rules to, to bend the weed container rules just a little bit. So I have some self-seeding ferns in my garden, so I might add some of that into a winter container. And then I think it's really nice to have just a little bit of pansies or wild pansies or, you know, I, I would probably add some cyclamen even though they aren't a weed. <laughs> but they do spread very quickly. <laughs> One of the most beautiful plants for autumn, and certainly going into winter, is teasel. It's really loved by birds as well. But you could have a, you know, the, that could be the dominant plant in your container. And then you could add some ground covers like ivy. But like for, as we get into kind of the winter harsh season, you could spray some of it. You could put some little decorations on it. You know, you can always have fun with stuff too. It doesn't all have to be totally natural. I think that one of the 
pluses of having them in a container is that they at least you're in some control of the ones that spread by roots mostly but a lot of them are like dandelions you know you can see the millions of seeds floating through the air so I think a lot of them do spread they are specializes in spreading by seed and you'll really need to kind of think about that I know with garlic mustard, I've had to control the areas that I have it in containers because it's it's going to take over the world otherwise. So I think that, you know, you have to think that through to some extent, but it's easier to control when they're in containers, definitely. One of the main things I would just have to say is that they're very good for wildlife. And I think it makes me feel good to see the butterflies and the caterpillars. I mean, I like to see the caterpillars on the weeds as opposed to the caterpillars on some of my other plants. But I don't even think of them as weeds anymore. I don't know what to call them now. They're kind of weed, they're weed flowers, flower weeds. That was Anne Treneman, and currently writing a book on containers that will be out in 2024. Stay tuned for details. Before we go, I just wanted to share a few tips on what you can get up to in the garden this week. Number one, if it's frosty, think about the birds, please. If you've got a little bird bath or a pond, give them a little bit of unfrozen water on cold mornings. It really will help them out. And while we're talking about water, remember that in cold, frosty weather, Sometimes your container plants can still dry out, particularly things like evergreens. So do make sure that any topiary, things like bay trees and terracotta pots, make sure that they're still watered when the weather warms up. Another timely tip is to look after your hellebores. So hybrid hellebores, Helleborus hybridus, has lots of leaves that all come up on individual stalks from below the ground. And at this time of year, they can start to look a bit tatty, but the, crucially, the new flowers and the new leaves won't really be emerging yet. So now's the time to chop them all off and then make space for that new fresh growth come January. That's all for now. So for me, Gareth Richards, goodbye and happy gardening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit Cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. 
Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>